Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape. 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 Talking Point. Getting you talking. Talking Point. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the airwaves of The Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM Stereo with the program called The Talking Point uh, with your host this evening, Ridwan Ahmed, standing in for Buta Jamil. Now, in the next segment, we're going to be looking at why inequality will, why inequality will not be fixed uh, and distorted data with Piketty. Now, Thomas Piketty, a French economist, visited South Africa, reminding us that inequality February needs to to be addressed. Piketty points out to reduce inequality, we have to motivate the dire need for the immediate acceptance of the National Development Plan. Now, online we have Patrick Bond, who is a professor of political economy at the University of the Witwatersrand. Um, uh, Patrick, good evening. Salam, it's good to be with you, Ridwan. It's wonderful that you and your audience are going to focus on this question, which the the uh, South African elites are getting very worried about, so it's wonderful to be able to talk about it. Okay, thanks very much for that, Professor. Professor, so where do we get the, the discussion going on this whole issue? This uh, issue is so good for South Africa since South Africa is the most unequal major country in the world. We have about 55 million people, and the way they measure inequality is between zero and one on a special scale. It's called Gini. And uh, if you have, just think about if you take a room of people, Ridwan, and you, you take um, all of the people in the room and you don't give them anything except for one person, then this number is one. That's the inequality measure. And if you give everybody the same, it's zero. So between zero and one, it's a very useful measure to say, well, how unequal is your country? South Africa, 0.77. We're very close to one. In other words, we're very close to a society where just a small number of people have all the income, all the economic wealth, but especially each year the income is measured. And what we'd like, I'm sure all of your listeners and myself, would be a more fair society where it's not so extreme. The difference between a Clifton and a, and a Cape Flats is so uh, geographically close, you just pop over the mountain. But, you know, the distance economically is a universe, right? And that's the uh, interesting uh, dilemma for somebody, the most famous economist in the world now, Thomas Piketty, who visited us last week to explore. He got his uh, major fame from writing about why capitalism creates inequality. That's mm-hmm. right, such an interesting question. The world, the elites in South Africa, Business Day, columnists, uh, Trevor Manuel was hosting them at UCT, the students at UCT protested um, at WITS and at UJ. They were big, big crowds. Everyone's very interested, well, what do we do about inequality in South Africa? Let's get the smartest guy in the world on this, Thomas Piketty. Mm-hmm. Now, why and for what purpose, uh, to your mind, is our data being distorted and who is benefiting from this ideology? Well, this is the next uh, uh, part of the story, isn't it? Because once you get that high inequality, you're going to have a, a lot of people very interested in making it seem that it's not that bad. And those are the people with all the money. Mm-hmm. And the, the institution that usually works in their interest, that's very decisively pro-inequality, although it says it's pro-poor, uh, uh, but you, know, you always talk left and you walk right. That's 
the World Bank. So a year ago, they did a study, and they, they released it in November, and it said, actually, South Africa is not that unequal. And they say, hey, look, all these people, 17 million South Africans, are getting grants. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure some of your listeners know that the, um, the child grant of 330 rand, or the elder grant, uh, 1,040, the, the disability grant, 1,040 a month, those are good. I mean, we need those. Um, I'd say they're about half what they should be because the poverty line is 780 rand a month. So you're trying to raise a child on 330? Nah, that's very hard. It's impossible. I mean, it means you're in deep poverty. And so the World Bank is trying to say, well, you put that in with the education spending and the health spending, and then inequality is not 0.77, it's actually 0.59. That's the same as paper. And then what you get, Rivan, is people with a lot of money, including the Trevor Manuels, who's now he's a Rothschild banker, right? Mm-hmm. And they're saying, hey, inequality is not as bad because, look, the World Bank has recalculated, and once you add our state spending, it's lower. But what they forgot to do, read one, they forgot to add the spending that goes to big business and rich people. And those are all kinds of tax breaks, or, the, you know, think of some of the municipal workers. They're complaining a lot, correctly, that their workers are more in the white suburbs than they are in the townships, right? Or think of the cheap electricity going to the biggest company in mining, BHP Billiton. They get their electricity 12 cents a kilowatt hour. I'm sure if you're listeners, you're listening and you know what your electricity spending is. You look at the, at the bill and you're at one round 20, 10 times as much per kilowatt hour. Or think of all of the ways that the infrastructure, right, all of the benefits and subsidies, the mega projects, the stadium in Greenpoint, all of these things are all about rich people construction companies benefiting from the government. But the World Bank distorted the data by not including that. That's my argument. And once you include that, the inequality is probably even as bad or worse as if you don't include any state spending. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, not many people, uh, you know, really would be aware of this or actually give this any second thoughts. Well, that's what I think this country is so great at, is we uh, saw two huge victories in the last 21 years, defeat of apartheid and defeat of the big pharmaceutical companies, right, the ones that charge $10,000 a year, 140000 rand a year, to get medicines for AIDS. Now, if you think of the huge breakthroughs to fight apartheid, because big business supported apartheid for most of its period, not at the very end, but most of the time. Only at the very end did they understand one person, one vote. They should support that because they should seem to be democratic. But also um, keeping people alive. Uh, you know, our life expectancy went down to 52 10 years ago. Now it's 62 because the Treatment Action Campaign was able to defeat big business, big pharmaceutical companies, and take away the profits and make those medicines free for 3 million people. Now, to me, those two campaigns, fighting apartheid and fighting the um, profits from pharmaceutical companies on AIDS medicines, those reflect that you can defeat the source of some of the inequality. You can defeat racism in apartheid. At least you can defeat it in the legal sense. I'm sure it all continues in, in the minds of white people, and it, just, it continues in all sorts of ways. But then also you can defeat big pharmaceutical companies and get these medicines free. If you take those two victories, you can say, yes, from below you can defeat inequality. But we have a bigger problem than just apartheid and just pharmaceutical companies. And I think that problem is called capitalism. And that's why Piketty becomes interesting, because he doesn't really believe that capitalism is the problem. He says, I love capitalism, I want to fix it. So we need things like taxes to redistribute, because capitalism is always making people more rich if they have 
already got money and making them richer faster than the growth rate. That's his famous formula. And so what we've been asking Piketty, in fact, uh, my colleague Chris Malakani from WITS put it to him at the big WITS um, session, well, wait a minute. I mean, if you're saying inequality is caused by capitalism um, and that you can fix it, then you're not remembering that capitalism also causes capitalist crises. And those you can't really fix. They keep coming back. So maybe you should think about being against capital. And that's one of the most exciting debates amongst those of us in universities, because we're trying to say, really, what's the deep cause of this inequality problem? Is it just that the rich are getting richer and you can tax them and that'll solve it? Or is it capitalism makes um, not only inequality, but capitalist crises, ecological destruction, sexism and racism much worse? So I think we'd run, we're in a situation, thanks to the visit at Piketty, where the big questions had to be raised. Chris Malikani raised them. But you know, every day, lots of workers, lots of community residents, lots of health activists, lots of women, youth are raising this question to get rid of the inequality in this country, the most extreme in the world. Must we also question capitalism? It's mm-hmm. a great question. Patrick, do stay on the line quickly just to note that there's an SMS here which came through from 6945 and the SMS reads, Ridwan, South Africa is a greedy capitalist society. Uh, well, we'll get uh, Patrick's view on that for now. We're going to go for a quick ad break and when we come back we'll then continue with the program called The Talking Point here on The Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM Stereo. Welcome back to the program called The Talking Point here on The Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM Stereo with your host this evening, Ridwan Ahmed, standing in for Buta Jamil. And if you have just joined us, we are chatting to um, Professor Patrick Bond, who is a Professor of Political Economy at the University of the Witwatersrand. Uh, now, Professor, do we still have you on the line? Okay, now there was an SMS earlier, Professor, which I read, and uh, the SMS, and maybe just your quick comment on it, and I know we're speaking about capitalism, it says South Africa is a greedy capitalist society. Well, let's give credit where it's due. It's really the 1% or maybe the top 10%, because in this country, the inequality is really benefiting people like me, right? People who have decent jobs, upper middle class, uh, usually you can tell us by the color of our skin. And that's one of the dilemmas, right, that... uh, it's not actually the entire society. I mean, I see the activists in the society. Do you know that uh, just uh, two weeks ago, Ridwan, the World Economic Forum did a survey called the Global Competitiveness Report. Now, the World Economic Forum is the biggest business guys in the world. They're in Switzerland, Davos, and they every year have a big party in January that <laughs> people like Trevor Manuel go and visit. But the um, finding for the fourth year in a row is that the South African working class is the most confrontational. So rather than saying the society is greedy, you could say the society is angry. And that's uh, definitively shown by how many people are out protesting. This morning in Johannesburg, the traffic was totally jammed up in the northern suburbs because of protesters in some of the townships in the north. These are the sorts of reflections, not just of, of, of a society that's angry, but it's also directing its anger towards the rich people, the people who are stuck in the traffic jam. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're going to do like the Arab Spring, 
occupying the major centers of town one day. Maybe they'll combine the community protesters with the with the working class in, in the unions, like a united front. Um, the Metal Workers Union is calling for this. Maybe there'll be something like the old United Democratic Front to take on capitalism the way in the early 80s uh, comrades did against apartheid. So I think we have to say the society is full of potential to overthrow greedy capitalism. But the caller, the SMSer, is right that the elites, you know, I'm thinking of even our, our comrades in the African National Congress who this weekend were complaining about they've lost, um, you know, a third of their members, right? I mean, uh, corruption seems to revolve around them. The, the exposés this week were that Cyril Ramaphosa was helping MTN take billions of rands out of um, places like Uganda and Nigeria and take them offshore to Mauritius to scam these poor African countries. So that's our deputy president, right, who called in the massacre for Americana in 2012. That's the top of the society that the SNS, I think, is referring to. Greedy capitalist and so corrupt that the World Economic Forum, but not just saying that the working class is, is angry, but PricewaterhouseCoopers said that our corporate class is the most corrupt in the world. This was a big study uh, released in March last year. So we really have the most extraordinary laboratory in uh, the world, I think, to test whether Thomas Piketty says, oh, you should tax a little bit, have a minimum wage at higher, um, maybe stop some of the offshore uh, financial uh, plan, uh, uh, sort of gimmickry that Trevor Manuel allowed by uh, uh, allowing the biggest companies to move to London. Those are very, very good suggestions. Nobody will complain about Piketty's reforms. But then he's saying, I want to fix capitalism. We can fix it with these reforms. Then some of us say, well, maybe not. Maybe it's a deeper problem. Mm-hmm. Now, when we're speaking about fixing reforms, for example, and we're speaking about uh, Thomas Piketty, uh, Patrick, what do you think Piketty is suggesting would work best for our economy? Well, as I mentioned, he's thinking that the minimum wage and higher tax brackets and trying to stop the financial outflows that come from the sorts of gimmicks that Cyril uh, Ramaphosa, the chair of MTN, until recently was exposed for in the Mail and Guardian this week. Very good report in the Mail and Guardian. So those will be reforms. But sometimes reforms are extremely powerful, like the reform to get uh, the uh, free AIDS medicines. I mean, that's kept people alive, I and mean, it's increased our life expectancy from 52 to 62. We cannot complain. But the question is, if you just put those Band-Aids on, and there's a cancer deep in the society, really in the economy. And it's a cancer, especially where the rich whites have already moved their loots, like Anglo-American and Old Mutual and De Beers and uh, uh, F.A.B. Miller, right, the big brewery, and, and uh, Investec and Didata, the biggest IT company, and uh, BHP Billiton used to be GenCorp, and Liberty, I and mean, I could go on, Mondi, you know, all of these big companies have moved away from Johannesburg and Cape Town to London to Melbourne, Australia, to New York City. So the question that I think the ANC should have tackled if they were honest about radical economic transformation at the weekend um, National General Council, what about forcing those guys to come back? And ironically, the GS, the General Secretary of the ANC, Grady Montashi, he actually wrote that about a month ago with a newspaper article saying, hey, Old Mutual, taking all of our savings, your listeners' savings, uh, uh, pensions, you know, insurance accounts, taking them out to London, investing in uh, real estate in the United States that went belly up and was part of the big global crisis. That didn't make sense. And he was apologizing that ANC was too neoliberal, too free market, too pro-corporate. And I hope that's a discussion that Piketty and these 
terrible contradictions in our society, this awful inequality, can help us get into. That's a bit of a, uh, you know, of a bigger challenge than just taxation. Not saying, well, who's going to control the bigger flows of capital and where the capital stays and whether we can even nationalize it. You know, I'll add one other thing we'd want. Right now, um, the steel sector is in total crisis. The number two company today went into court. They're looking for liquidation. Uh, that's called Everest Heisel. And the biggest company, ArcelorMittal, used to be called Iscor. They're in, in big, big problems. They got a little bailout that they call protection subsidies that allow um, them to uh, basically have higher prices than the Chinese competitors. But even that's just keeping something that's really quite sick just alive on a sort of life support system. Mm-hmm. So the only solution in those situations is nationalization. Because you don't want to have a country as big as this with such important industrial activity not having steel as part of our productive apparatus. Well, and I think that's going to be the next step in our debates. I know that metal workers, which are standing to lose thousands and thousands of jobs, they're saying, no, we must nationalize and then protect and then turn that steel into something useful, like let's have um, renewable energy systems like Well, unfortunately, uh, so, sorry, Professor. Unfortunately, thanks very much for your time. And that is uh, Professor Patrick Bond, uh, political economist at the University of Witwatersrand. Thanks very much for your time. Uh, you, and I'm sure that has been some benefit to our listeners. And I bid you a very good evening. Bye-bye then. Okay, thanks very much. Uh, well, do stay tuned to uh, the airwaves of the Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM stereo. We're going to continue with Bataishu uh, Fisher with Caravan into the night. A very big shukran from my side to Faldi and Faiz for the technical duties. And remind that the views expressed on this program does not necessarily reflect the views of the Voice of the Cape, its management on the star or the staff. From my side, Ridwan Ahmed, I bid you assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Yeah.